Guardian Unlimited. Hello, Assalamu Alaikum, and welcome to your November edition of Islamophonic. Coming up, Neocons, Mystics, Basketball, and Billy Ocean. There's eclectic for you. In the studio, we have the guys from Comedy Ensemble, Allah Made Me Funny. Did he? We'll let you decide. The boys are here on a nationwide tour and they've stopped off at Islamophonic Plaza before they fly off to Holland later today. How's it going? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Can you just... Can you just... Can you just We've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> can you introduce yourself? Get to yourself? Billy Ocean. Get to you. Come on, Billy. Capion Queen. And the dream. How's the tour? It's nationwide. You're selling out. Alhamdulillah. Everything is going wonderful. Alhamdulillah. We are just happy to be back in the UK with the police, the, the chips, the fish, the traffic. <laughs> Do the Brits like you? Uh, I don't know. They say nice things. Yeah. Okay. That's when I'm there. No, I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, as well as, now, as well as bringing us Allah Made Me Funny, America has given us many other things. The International House of Pancakes, The Sopranos, and Climate Change. Something else it's given to the world. What, what tour did you go on? Of, you're going to blame the entire climate change of the United States. Is that what that was? Yeah. yeah. Something else is given to the world. I want, I want goose coat. Can we talk about neoconservatism? Yeah. Is yeah. That, is that a cartoon? It is. Now, it's dominated the U.S. administration's domestic and foreign policy, especially during the Bush years. And we've never really talked about it, partly because I've never met any. So imagine my delight when Noni Darwish came to London. She's but her name is Noni. Her but name is Noni Darwish. What's wrong with Noni? Noni. Noni. Sounds like a kid messed himself. Did you make a Noni? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to play a little footy? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? I have no idea. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. Let's go ahead. It's your flight, Focus. not mine. Oh, all right. Wow. wow. <laughs> threatened all of a sudden. No, well, wow. it's what us. we Brits do. We threaten people. Yeah. sister And dominate the whole world. And, oh, wow. um, so oh, last week she hey. took part in Islamofascism Awareness Week oh, on college campuses across America. Noni was born a Muslim. Her dad founded the Fedayeen, which launched raids across Israel's southern border in the 1950s. When she was eight, her dad became the first targeted assassination carried out by the IDF in response to Fedayeen attacks, making him a shaheed or martyr. She's lived in America since 1978 and has stopped practicing Islam because she feels that even in American mosques, a radical, anti-American and anti-peace message is being promoted. Here's what she had to say. I was never really a very religious person, you know, all my life. I'm moderate. My first visit to a mosque in America, I was extremely disappointed. The message was, don't assimilate in America. And we want to make Islam the law of the land. Islam should not be just one of the religions. It's supposed to be the dominant religion. And then they told me, why don't you cover up? And I said, in Egypt, we never covered up. And then I heard hate speech and anti-Semitism as well. So I just never went to mosque and I never practiced any anymore. Because it scared me. It made me feel a traitor to the country I moved to. Now, you recently took part in Islamofascism Awareness Week. Can you tell us about the event and also why you decided to take part? Yeah, I was very happy to take part. First of all, the word Islamofascism was not coined in America. It was originally used by Algerians in the 90s during the civil war in Algeria when 150,000 Algerians were slaughtered by fellow Muslims. So I think it's a very appropriate expression about an agenda and an ideology of hatred 
oppression of women and a style of fear and hate speech. Now the event took place across campuses in America and there were some very high profile speakers like Robert Spencer, Anne Coulter, Daniel Pipes and you were one of them. You think that radical Islam is a problem on American campuses? Yes. Muslim student organizations, a lot of people are now saying they are uh, very much linked to the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas. Some of them actually were wearing Hamas t-shirts. These are terrorist organizations. So, But largely the crowd you felt were sympathetic towards you. What is it about America that allows this debate to happen? Allows? Mm. This is America. Mm. It's freedom of speech. It's not like England or Canada. In America, there's freedom of speech, and if something is said wrong, the other side has their full right to debate it. It sounds like you don't think the same rule applies in Britain. I'm not sure why. I'm more familiar with American law. Guys, what did you make of that? Well, uh, first of all, she's not very religious. She said that she hasn't been in a mosque in probably, what, like 30 years? You know, but she follows the trend, though. Seriously, she follows the trend. Because in America, everybody's an expert. You have to have absolutely no knowledge of the subject matter and definitely no research <laughs> and no interviews. And, you know, and if the information comes back and it contradicts what you're saying, then uh, who cares? You know, she hasn't been to my mosque. No. She What's hasn't. your mosque like? My mosque is African-American. Yeah, no choice other than assimilate. You assimilate or you, you wind up in jail <laughs> or picking <laughs> cotton. <laughs> Singing serious. <laughs> doing their dime, p- picking a shirt. You know what I'm saying? She's just pushing. So, you know, yeah, she's I, what? She's what? She's pushing. She's pushing her own agenda. I mean, she has her own thought process. She's obviously already made her own conclusions. She's not going to go into it and look into the dean. She, she's not being progressive. Well, she's me, not me, seeing me, what organizations. Let me, let me even doing. go further because yeah. now you have a situation, a scenario. Absolutely. For the first time in America, you have African American preachers mm. preaching against Islam. No. Oh. And this is crazy because African-American Christians and Muslims have coexisted for years. You know, they have black conservatives now. And these guys have absolutely no credibility. They're just the ones that are willing to speak out against other people. Right. And, like, you know, you start researching. One guy is like a car used car salesman and another guy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's yeah, you're an authority. I'm like, <laughs> sell me a car. You mm. know, <laughs> but don't tell me about my religion. It happens in the African-American community. They have guys that go after black leaders. And basically they're taking the same model and they find Muslims to go after Muslims. That's the way it is. I think Mo wants to say something. I, yes, I, th- but I think it's uh, it's just ridiculous notion to completely include everybody in your own thoughts as far as everybody's a terrorist. Oh, my God. There's kids wearing Hamas T-shirts. There's, you know, there's reasons for why everything is happening the way it is. And you can't sit there and include a certain amount, a very small percentage, and lump them up in, into this is what Islam is all about. You're talking about four or 5,000 people and all it, out of... 1.5 billion these days an, I mean, an expert you only have to be close to right three out of ten times okay well we got on to the, we got on to the wider right debate about 30%. america i asked noni why she thought america was a target for so-called islamic terror the whole west is a target because they want to islamize the world i'm quoting somebody who told me that we have 100 years of wealth from oil and within those hundred years we better islamize the rest of the world Islamic terrorism is fueled by all money, absolutely. And America is the biggest prize. It's the superpower, of course. Do you think America is a target because of foreign policy? Absolutely not. There is nothing in America's foreign policy that should hurt any Muslim on earth. It's an excuse. 
The problem with Arab media, if you visit Arab countries, you see poverty, but you open Arab newspapers and all you talk about is Israel and America bashing. See, they have to be victims to justify jihad. The Arab world have been liberated from occupation and it's over a long time ago. They just want to continue blaming the West for their problems. Mosques constantly advocate anger, hate, subversion. To them, the, the solution is always an intifada, an uprising, a coup d'etat, an assassination. In this dynamic, only tyrannical governments can survive because the governments that want peace, modernity, they want democracy and progress. What happens to those leaders in the Arab world? They get assassinated. When there's videotaped evidence about suicide bombers or Al-Qaeda figures saying the reason this attack has happened is because of your interference in Palestine or your invasion of Iraq or your invasion of Afghanistan, is that not enough evidence to suggest that actually maybe America's foreign policy, not just America's foreign policy, but also British foreign policy, has something to do with it? Absolutely not. I'll tell you, when 9-11 happened, there was no Afghanistan and there was no Iraq. When uh, the first Gulf War happened, America was called by Kuwait help. America went there for one reason, one reason only. We don't need crazy leaders who go and set oil fields on fire. America wants an economic transaction to happen peacefully. And for this, you need stable governments. So what happened is America went to stabilize the region. Did this get met in the Arab street with, thank you, America? No. The response from the Arab street, how dare you desecrate Muslim land with your filthy, infidel feet? Do you think that the Muslims living in America are integrated? I agree. The majority are very happy to be in America. And, but there is, uh, I'm not sure, a minority or a little bit more who are advocating don't assimilate in mosques. So what do we do now? What steps can the government take? Number one, nothing can happen as long as the West is divided. There's too much political correctness. So with this division, I doubt if there's going to be any agreement on legislation. The media in the West is not doing its job. It's playing to the propaganda of the Arab world. They're not talking about what's happening to the Copts in Egypt. They're not talking about enough about what's happening in the Sudan. They're not talking about Muslim against Muslim atrocities. They're not talking about the oppression of the regular Muslim men on the street. Oh, they call some of the terrorists freedom fighters. The true freedom fighters are not the terrorists. The terrorists are the ones who want to keep Muslim women in bondage. The terrorists are the ones who want to keep the status quo in the Arab world. The true freedom fighters are the ones who are speaking out for democracy and for progress and for freedom and for freedom of Muslim women. What about legislation? I'd like to see a temporary halt on uh, immigration from all the terror-producing nations. What about hate laws? Well, I am for freedom of speech. However, any religion that promotes hate is not supposed to be considered a religion anymore. And the way they teach Islam right now is more than a religion. It rejects every other religion that interferes in every aspect of your life and can kill you if you leave it. That is Islam today. Allah made me funny still in the studio. Guys, many facial reactions during that interview. Uh, I'm going to be honest, you know, and, and this is uh, coming from the West. First of all, being African-American Muslim, after 9-11, nobody wanted to hear what black people had to say. We're going to tell the truth. 
The truth is, you know, this is a hustle. Any idea that they bring out these people to constantly try and tell you how you're supposed to live your life according to their standards and their needs and their agenda, it gets to be it gets to be ridiculous and it keeps producing the same type of people. The same way uh, back in the 60s when black people wanted to vote and they went and found black people to say, no, we don't want to vote. <laughs> oh, boss, show it good. <laughs> he only bit me once a month and I deserve it. It's like when I was in when I was in history class, in I was in history class and this is second grade, and they were teaching about slavery. They were talking about the white man was a liberator of the black man, and I said it's ridiculous. And the idea of trying to put Islamo fascist, I call it you know Islamo fascism is Islamo full or something. Okay, Mo, what do you have to say? Honestly, I, I have nothing else to say besides, you know, why do you even give her a voice? With somebody with that much hatred and that much against one religion or a certain sect of people and completely well, insults. To, I, and to say that foreign policy has nothing to do with some people's... And, and also to mention that the, the Middle East is not occupied in any way is a completely ridiculous statement. I mean, obviously, they enjoy her. They like her having having her around because she says so many negative things about Islam. It keeps Islam in its place for their own agendas. Like we were I mean, she's about. part of a stable of right-wing personalities uh, like in America. To, right. She maybe isn't as well-known as Daniel Pipes or Anne Coulter or Robert Spencer, but mm. she's saying the well, same I'm, stuff I'm that they are. I'm going to tell you something. Right. You know, it's Asian and smooth, okay? It's like, mm. man, I could, I could shoot holes in this thing. Yeah, it's, it's like so skeet shooting, pool, pow! I'm going to kill that idea. Dude, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, they were trying to do the same thing, and they didn't have a forum. They didn't have mm. group to take it around to. Mm. You didn't have the Bush-Cheney group trying to push this thing. You know, the, fu- the funniest thing about it is is that they keep talking about Muslim fundamentalism. Muslim, Muslim, mm. Muslim, Muslim. Uh, we can sit here and point fingers all day, which I hate doing, mm-hmm. but the fact is is that some of the most populated fundamentalist organizations happen to be Christian. There's people from Jewish fundamentalist backgrounds, but why are you sitting there picking on a certain, a certain religion right now? I was watching TV when, you know, George Bush used the word Islamo-fascist and almost got it wrong. Yeah. You know, islamo Stuttering and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's like Porgy Pig doesn't like Muslim. I want, I want, I I gotta clarify something. Okay, go ahead. I I don't want people to think that you know. Oh, why did he mention the Christian fundamentalist thing or anything to that matter? You know, I I don't like pointing fingers, and we have issues. We all have issues, Mm -hmm. and I think with the way we can resolve these issues by opening up dialogue, reaching out to one another. Allah made me funny. Project is a big deal because it it squashes a lot of these ideas of Muslim fundamentalists and all Muslims are pushing these bogus anti-American agendas. I mean, we grew up in in America. Guys, we've got to move on. Um, Basically, real quick, don't just absolve yourself from all responsibility. Everybody has a piece Mm. in this. You got to, everybody has to just take responsibility. Let's talk about it. Let's sit down. Let's move on. Okay, if you want to hear the rest of the interview with Noni Darwish, you can. Just follow the link on the Islamophonic blog. Well, for some peace, love, understanding and Billy Ocean, we're stepping back in time to the 13th century. (laughs) Rumi is one of the most famous Sufi mystic poets in Islamic culture and history. He was born in Afghanistan and travelled to Baghdad, Mecca, Damascus, and finally settled in Konya in Turkey, where he spent most of his life. On his death in 1273, his followers founded the Sufi Mevlevi Order, also known as the Whirling Dervishes. His work, originally written in Persian, has been translated into many languages and is known throughout the world. 2007 marks his 800th birthday and in the unlikely location of a West London library, some Rumi fans were celebrating his legacy. Thank you. 
is Nihat Tolak. I've organized this Rumi also a few group meetings the last four or five years. So I'm kind of the host. And why have you been organizing these events? It was like an opportunity for people to get together, sort of experience the Sufi music, and then create opportunities for other people to share this music, which is wonderful and so spiritual and not that very well known. What appeals to you about Sufi music and Sufi poetry? It's so transcendental, it's the spirituality of it, and the, the music is so meditative, and it's not that well known. And the poetry is very universal, it's very much like Zen poetry. Rumi means different things to different people. To me, it's more about discovering yourself and freeing yourself from yourself. I'm also interested in his journey, going from a classical scholar to more of a madman, of a spiritual poet. I think it's the poetry, it's the music of self-discovery, of sharing. And then there's a lot of publicity around him at the moment. There's like a PR exercise in Turkey, in Iran, and they're pushing him really hard because of his openness and interfaith aspects. Why is his work still relevant today? It's a good question. He's always been read in the East. I mean, only the last few decades we've got good few publications in, in English. And the way Rumi's been translated, it become very secular, I mean, the way it's been presented. So people see kind of relevances because of the translations. If you read Rumi or if you read Zen poetry, they, you will find kind of similarities. So the Rumi we read is very clean from the Islamic or traditional aspects of the Middle East. I think that makes it relevant and contemporary and people are reading it. seen any lover who was satisfied with this passion. I'm Jila Hashimi and I've been researching Rumi and his teachings for the past 20 odd years. What do you like about Rumi? What I've always admired and tried to live up to is his teachings are open to all. He speaks about this shop of unity, meaning it is not specific for people who follow the path of Islam, but all those who are seeking to understand their purpose of life now, 700, 800 years later, his teachings apply to the modern life. I don't think there are other teachings about uniting with God in the same manner in the poetic verse. Why is he popular in the West? Because his language is not a language contained in a limited form. It is a language of love, not superficial love nor ideal love, but love of substance, and it is an objective love. And people in the West, in the East, are drawn to his teachings because his language is inspired and because something within the words he says resonates within themselves. My name is Suleiman Zadeh, and tonight I'm performing Romy 800th birthday anniversary 
He brought love to human being and he said, God is love, love is God. What was his poetry about? All his poetry is about man and his relation with the universe and what he should behave, how he should behave to each other. And he said, we are from the same root and we are all human, we should love each other, nothing else. Why is he so important today, 800 years after he was born? We can see how important it is today that man killing each other in the name of God for centuries and centuries. And Romy, 800 years ago, said peace is the only solution. Love is what we should concentrate, not hatred. The awesome sounds of Rumi, an 800-year-old mystic in a mashup with Billy Ocean. Going gets tough. Guys, can we learn something from Rumi? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I've read his stuff, man. I mean, it's it's deep. I like like the simplicity of... Kind of pointing out how stupid we can be, <laughs> you know, because you know, roomy, roomy thoughts are just like kind of they're long and involved, man. But in the end, it's like a simple theme that kind of follows all the way through. It's like you know, live well for the sake of living well, and I kind of like that. I like your voice, preach, man. It sounds like a jazz, uh, jazz discussion. I just didn't want to yell, okay, I'm behind Queen. <laughs> Sorry, we had going gets tough instead. Um, listen, I know you've got to go to the airport, so thank you for joining us. Thank Don't you. get stopped or searched. And I believe that you're doing a gig at the American Embassy. Yes, November the 20th. November 29th. No. So you might not actually we'll be... come out of there. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate those, it. Those are my tax dollars. Yeah, I'm... As a Palestinian I'm go, refugee. I'm going to cook eggs. I'm like, hey, I pay taxes, baby. <laughs> I mean, as a Palestinian refugee, I never thought that I would be doing stand-up comedy and go in there and talk about policies and on stage and make fun of <laughs> at the U.S. Embassy. It's just an amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Like I said, thanks for joining us and have a safe flight to Holland. Is there one more thing? No, one more thing. One Absolutely. more thing. Okay. We just filmed Allah made me funny live in concert. concert. Yeah, baby. Is there a DVD feature no, film? It's, it's coming film, out in theaters, baby. Think big. Think big. Big screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't know us. Yeah, yeah. Live in concert. Yeah. Go to us. Go to AllahMimiFunny.com. Get on our contact list Facebook, and we let you know the release of the film. Facebook.gov. Yes. Call the CIA. They have our information. Yeah, they will. Call the FIBI, FBI. They have all the recordings. We'll Guys, we love we you. We got to wrap it up. We love you too. Oh my God. She just gave us the look like, get off the microphone. All right. <laughs> I was just. Totally did it. I was just. I was just getting a relationship That's going. it. I thought we had something special. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, All right you. take care. I sound like them. I feel sad without them, but the show must go on. Coming up, we meet ladies from the Muslim Women's Sports Foundation as they walk the rocky road to the 2009 Islamic Women's Games in Tehran. But first, let's have a news update. Present Live is a new internet TV channel featuring culture, arts, debate, films, comedy, cartoons and history. According to the team behind the venture, it will also act as a key player in helping to rebuild bridges of tolerance, understanding, acceptance and promote harmony between people of different faiths at a time that is most needed. Check it out at www.crescentlive.net. If you're in central London on November the 20th, you might want to pop along to a debate between Dutch feminist Ayan Hirsi Ali and former Islamist Ed Hussein. The location has yet to be confirmed, but the event is being organised by the right-wing think tank Centre for Social Cohesion, so check their website for details. 
As we heard earlier, UNESCO has declared 2007 the year Arumi. And if you're lucky enough to be in Konya, Turkey next month, you can enjoy the mother of all whirling dervish festivals. Now, Olympic gold is every athlete's dream. If you're part of a national squad, then it's that much closer. But what if you don't have the money, the facilities or the coaching to help you fulfil your ambitions? Members of the Muslim Women's Sports Foundation play basketball, badminton and futsal, which is like indoor football. Despite their talent and energy, they're having some problems. I went to Watford to watch them dribble and to find out what was going on. My name's Rosemint and I'm here to play basketball. This area provides us the opportunity to play freely without our scarves and without shorts and all those things. Now you said earlier that being in this basketball team and coming to these practices, you got to know other Muslim girls as well. Yeah, It's just uh, the community, getting to know more, wide variety of people, because they're all from different countries as well and it's just really nice to get to know everyone. I'm Rim Lachter, I'm the chairperson for the Muslim Women's Sport Foundation. Now, what kind of challenges are you facing at the moment, Rimla? We've got loads of enthusiastic girls here and really, they really deserve more support than they're getting at the moment and that's in terms of finding um, suitable facilities in a central location because people are coming from all around the country. But also linked to that, it's the funding issue at the moment. We've funded, you could say, for the short term and therefore the girls are just simply training, they've got the enthusiasm but they can't really look to the long term at the moment. And it's not just the facilities, is it? The funding will also help in terms of coaching and obviously you need female coaching. Exactly. We're having a real, real problem at the moment, specifically with our futsal team. And in order to get those professional coaches to, for example, come from Birmingham or Leicester, coaches that we know are there, it comes back to the same issue at the end of the day of that lack of funding. And you're not accessing lottery funding because... Well, it's an area that's still, I guess, being discussed by a lot of people in, in the Muslim community. The main problem is that, you know, there's so many varying views about the original source of the money that we're using. And, you know, some people believe that as long as the original source is the lottery money, gambling money, it shouldn't be used, really. So the stance that we've taken is to make sure that we're catering to every single person and we're not losing our girls. You know, we shouldn't access any money that's originally come from lottery. But we're simply unable to do it at the moment. We've got a basketball team, in, a futsal team in Watford. We've got a basketball team in East London and also in Birmingham. But we can't go beyond that. You know, we're all volunteers. We do this in our supposedly spare time. So we deserve, I think our girls deserve the sort of support that we're asking for now. In terms of the Islamic Women's World Games or the Islamic Games that are held um, every four years, now you went to the Games in 2005. Would it be safe to say that you got your asses kicked? Uh, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Um, well, I mean, there was no there was no shame in what we did out there. We played to the best of our abilities as, as a team. We we certainly had a good time, and we were by far the most popular team out there. It was a fantastic experience. I think the best team out there were definitely the Iranian team, they, who have got the sort of funding and support that we could only dream of in this country. Um, they have academies dedicated to their teams. You know, even they were asking us through our translator, you know, how come the British team is just not up to standard? And we had no answer apart from, you know, we, we do what we can with the resources we have. And there's no shame in how we did out there. Now, I know that you've just sorted out your five-year plan and one of the objectives is to get a Muslim woman into Team GB for the 2012 Olympics. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an aim. Aisha Abdeen and myself, we've had this aim since 2005 and we're still working towards it. We've got a plan from next year to, through to 2012 now. Why should anybody care about the Muslim Women's Sports Foundation? 
Well, we're giving a lot back to our society just through the girls. On the one hand, we're playing for Britain. We're quite obviously, blatantly showing our unity, the country of our birth. So that's giving a good image of our community, showing the rest of the UK what our community is really about. And at the same time, we're contributing to the sporting success of this country. So it's a two-way thing. The girls, they also feel that connection to their country of birth now. You know, in the current climate that we live in, it's sometimes difficult to do that. You have that question of, are you British or Muslim? Well, we're showing that you can quite easily be both. If you think you can help, find the Muslim Women's Sports Foundation on www.mwsf.org.uk or on Facebook. We'll feature all the links on the blog where you can listen to the full-length version of our Noni Darwish interview. That was Islamophonic. It was presented by me, Riaz Atbat, and produced by Matt Haywood. Jazakallah for listening, and until December, stay halal. Guardian Unlimited.